Welcome back to Historical Context. Today we continue our series on the colony of Virginia during the Restoration. Today's episode starts off in 1675 where the colony is dealing with some economic issues and now political instability surrounding longtime colonial governor William Berkeley who is now approaching 70 years old. The March 1675 Grand Assembly mentions that ammunition has finally reached the colony and has been distributed to the various forts. The assembly also ordered that lands not claimed by the English could be planted by Appomattox natives. The assembly went a step further to instruct the courts not to allow encroachment upon native lands. So relations with the natives in Virginia seeming to go well. This same assembly created a standing guard for the governor and that consisted of 24 men. In May, Nathaniel Bacon was formally confirmed to become the Auditor General of the colony following the death of former Governor Edward Diggs. In August, the colony receives word that a treaty with the Dutch, which had been completed a year ago, had been signed, ending the Third Anglo-Dutch War. So hopefully now the colony can move away from the trade convoys that we've talked about in the past and maybe have a little bit more of an open economy. On October 17th, an arrest warrant is issued for Giles Bland. We talked about him last week. He is charged with scandalous letters and mutinous reports. Bland's position as customs collector was also suspended. Giles' mother, Sarah, would petition the king the following year. Sarah Bland's letter would shine some light onto the problem, which started in last week's episode. She claims that Thomas Ludwell told her son that his papers were forged relating to the inheriting of his father's estates in Virginia. Therefore, he was not the rightful heir of those plantations. Sarah also claimed that her son was without sleep and under the influence of alcohol when he responded to Ludwell's accusations by nailing a glove of his to the state house and writing a libelous letter next to it. In her petition, she requested that her son be tried by a jury for the crimes accused against him. The petition was forwarded to the Committee for Foreign Plantations. Bland also wrote a petition back to England at the same time. This is Giles Bland. In it, he talks about the importance of his position as a customs agent and how the colony produces hundreds of thousands of pounds of revenue for the crown. In Bland's letter back to England, he makes a comment about the people of the colony. Let's have a look at the writing. To establish peace in this place and security, not only from their enemies, but from the pressures and discontents which they receive from the government, which already has so little reverence paid them, that a considerable body of the country have armed themselves without commission against their enemies and, and for redress of their grievances. So Bland is basically stating that those armaments 
that the government has spread around. The ammunition is now being taken up by the people and possibly going to be used to redress their grievances against the government. So they may turn and turn against the colonial government. Meanwhile, the frontier begins to face various native attacks. Originally, Governor Berkeley is committed to launching a, an offensive against these natives, but he changes his mind when he finds out that there is a broader war against the natives in New England, and that's going to be discussed on a future series. So Berkeley decides to hold off on an offensive. He does write in April of 1676 about a pretty incredible theory of his regarding these native attacks. Let's have a look. I said the beginning of the New England troubles were the cause of ours. I must proceed to say that when the New England Indians resolved to attack the New England men, they sent emissaries as far as our parts to induce our Indians to do the like, and it is almost incredible what intelligence distant Indians hold. So Berkeley's theory is that the New England war is and the word spreading from that is what's causing these attacks. Berkeley goes on to mention that the forts have helped defend the colony, but one attack on a plantation did leave many women and children dead. He concludes his letter by saying the frontier colonists were holding more land than they could defend, and the natives overall represented a small risk to the colony. Berkeley also writes a letter to Thomas Ludwell, and uh, he has additional information about the current state of Virginia. Let's have a look at the writing. I appeased two mutinies this last year, raised by some secret villains that whispered amongst the people that there was nothing intended by the 50-pound levy but the enriching of some few people. But this year, it has been cheerfully paid by everyone, though the necessity of a new tax is laid upon us, for the Indians are generally combined against us in all the northern parts of America. They have destroyed diverse towns in New England. Berkeley is basically saying there, two mutinies have already been snuffed out. So clearly there is political instability occurring here. Uh, and he's hinting that taxation may be the cause of those, although he says uh, everybody willingly paid the tax the second time around, and that a new tax may need to be levied to handle the natives. Berkeley goes on to mention that a 500-man army is being raised to defend the heads of the rivers. At the same time, Berkeley is asked by the Committee of Plantations to provide an accurate accounting of the colony's obedience to the Navigation Acts. Now remember, the Navigation Acts, this was 15 years prior that they were passed, said that English trade from the colonies could only be done by ships made in England with crews three-quarters English or more, and then the Staple Act later said that all trade had to go through England, and this has been a big pain point to Virginia's economy. Somewhere between April and May, Nathaniel Bacon's plantation is attacked, and the leader of the plantation is killed. Bacon asks to raise an offensive army to go in and... Uh, handle the native threat, but Berkeley refuses. 
Berkeley is able to get a peace treaty with the Pamunkey, but conflict remains against the Sasquahonics. When Berkeley refuses to raise a militia, Bacon forms his own militia and went to the Okanichis to seek an alliance. A writing entitled The State of Virginia captures this moment. Let's have a look. For the defense of the country against the Indians, a body of about 500 are in arms without the commission of the governor, setting forth a declaration of their dangers and their grievances, and taking no notice of the proclamation sent from the governor to forbid and suppress them. And it mentions a declaration of grievances. So these are the first grievances of Virginia that we're seeing published. And I've got a few of them I want to share. Let's have a look. The extreme and grievous taxes they lie under continually, and yet the tobaccos that are raised not expended to the desired end, as first several hundred thousand raised for building of forts, and yet no forts that any way serviceable built in the country. Two, several hundred thousand raised for maintaining of agents in England as Major General Smith, Secretary Ludwell, and Coyle Parks, and yet no business affected. Thirdly, two millions of tobacco raised for building of forts at the heads of rivers upon great men's new plantations and settlements. The great injuries that is done in courts by the insu insinuation of some that make advantages by the governor's passion, age, or weakness. The great sway that those of the council bear over the rest of the assembly in matter of laws and also in orders upon appeals being commonly appointed chairman in all committees. Fourthly, the governor tolerating and licensing some to trade with the Indians, though barbarous enemies, whereby they were furnished with powder shot and guns, part of which some say His Majesty sent in for the supply of Virginia. Fifth and lastly, which has been the main cause of these tumults, the not timely suppressing the incursions of those formidable savages, whereby many men overcut of and several plantations deserted. Important points here, the native attacks, the taxation, and apparently now they're saying there's been no follow-through. So high taxation, security issues, now we've got a rebellious problem here in Virginia. The writing, The State of Virginia, echoes the high taxation sentiment by saying that they believed the taxes were to cover the Burgess's high daily allowances. So what they're saying is they're thinking we're paying all these taxes to enrich our government and not to get things done to our defense. The state of Virginia writing gives an ominous prognostication. Let's have a look. But it seems here to be very unlikely that the authority and power lodged in the aged governor and his divided council are able to appease and settle things seasonably and effectually without the gracious assistance of his majesty and his councils. Virginia is going to need outside help 
to fix this problem, according to the author of the state of Virginia. Now, the state of Virginia does provide policy solutions to the rebellion, and I'll go through those right now. One, confirming every man's property under broad seal, and I think this would resolve the Giles Bland problem. Two, by enlarging their liberty and declaring everyone born in America free subjects of England. That's interesting. Three, the Wage Act for Burgess is not to extend beyond that of Parliament, so they can't make more than an English parliamentarian. That's an interesting condition. And fourth and last, the tobacco tax should be efficient to run operations, and if not, residents should be taxed according to land ownership. By the way, while all this is happening, the trial of Giles Bland takes place, and he is fined 500 pounds. Thomas Ludwell's letter of mutiny arrives in England before the Committee of Foreign Plantations in June, and he is ordered to attend a future meeting. Ludwell is also responding to the Committee of Foreign Plantations regarding the Giles Bland case. He claims Bland committed fraudulent conveyance to illegally obtain his father's property. Berkeley is not going to tolerate the actions of Nathaniel Bacon. And he responds, this is, this is from a narrative that was written a few years later. Let's have a look. In his absence, he and those with him were declared rebels to the state, May 29th, and forces raised to reduce him to his obedience, at the head of which the governor advanced some 30 or 40 miles to find Bacon out, but not knowing which way he was gone. He dismissed his army, retiring himself in council to Jamestown, there to be ready for the assembly, which was now upon the point of meeting. So Berkeley raises his own army to go out and put down Bacon, declared a rebel, couldn't find him, so he came back to Jamestown for the assembly, which is held on June 5th. The assembly passes a law requesting the local justices look into the prices that arms and ammunition are being sold for in that area. So an investigation into the prices of ammunition. The assembly also passed a law banning the taxation of tobacco to cover the costs of the forts. That's an interesting uh, compromise. The assembly orders the raising of an army, but they are simply to act in a defensive posture, not offensive. The order states that the army is, quote, strictly prohibited the falling upon or injuring in any forts of the Indians. So, no offensive. The session concludes with a praise to Sir William Berkeley and a desire that he continues in office. So, what about Nathaniel Bacon and his actions? Will he be held accountable? We will find out, and we are going to hear from Nathaniel Bacon in his own words next time on Historical Context.